Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm here with you, Justin Poulin. Joining me, John Duke. The namesake will definitely come into play in t- today's discussion on the podcast. <laughs> Don't forget to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter. That's right. You can follow us at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. And we'll tell you a little bit more about the Facebook page, the app, and the YouTube channel when we get down the line a little bit. Got a quite a few things to talk about. Last night's game against the Wiz- Wizards really one where the Celtics completely dominated despite the uh, despite the referees. Really a horribly officiated game. Not something I ever want to get into. Excuses. That's been a strong strong stance of mine since back in the Scotsman call-in days and the <laughs> first iteration of Celtics Stuff Live. Obviously talking a little bit about Philly and what the Celtics need to do really with only one or two games on tap. Only one and really impacting the seeding against Cleveland. So we've got the stretch run here, wrapping up the season and what do they what do they have to do? What are their goals as they close this out? So we'll talk about that second half of the show. Obviously, uh, more stuff coming out from uh Rajon Rondo via of our good friend Mark Spears at the Undefeated about Ray Allen not being invited to the party. So uh I'm down with that, John. We'll break that down in the second half as well as we will talk about Duke and we'll talk about Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown's dust up and get our predictions for the few games on tap the rest of this week. So let's just kick it right off with the Wizards game because this one it was funny because I was getting some Twitter messages and people were saying, you know, oh, why did the show come out on, on Monday morning? I needed you guys to talk me off the ledge after two close games against inferior opponents. And I said, hey, listen, let's just keep in mind the Celtics have and have – even going back to the Doc Rivers days, a tendency to play to the opponent. <laughs> it's got to be something about wearing that green uni because they are always playing to the opponent no matter at what level or what stage they are in their development, John. So they did that with the Wizards, but I think they almost played well above the opponent most of that game, even though it did get within two possessions with about two minutes remaining. Well, you know... It- I think that goes a couple different ways, right? I mean, they played so well through the first, you know, three and a half quarters of this game. I mean, rebounding like, like we, well, like we, like we dream about basically. I mean, it was gang rebounding. You know, I think when this team has played well, when the Celtics have played well here post uh, all-star break one, they've defended the hell out of the ball and two, they've rebounded really well. Crowder's been probably the single biggest factor in that to me. Um, while they've all done it, Kelly Olenek was, was all over the boards tonight. To me, Jay kind of set the tone with that by going back, hitting the boards, uh, crashing the glass, really making a concerted effort on that end, uh, to make sure that those, those, you know, kind of hustle plays didn't go the other way like they did when the Celtics were playing down in Washington a couple, well, about a month ago. You know, so, Jay's had a good couple huge. of weeks, too, and I'll even say this last week really hitting his stride, which is a, it's a good sign because plenty of criticism to start out the season for for his play and where he was at, but in the first half just knocking down three balls against the Wizards with confidence. 
I, you know, and we talked about it. We were kind of on Jay's case, uh, probably as late as January on the yeah, show well, where we were talking about January. it. January, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we were really talking about it here. It just he wasn't. You know, we we hadn't seen the Jay Crowder we were expected. He wasn't, you know, driving closeouts. He wasn't defending like we're used to him doing. He wasn't, uh, you know, uh, as much of an effort on the rebounding end. He wasn't getting the steals he was getting last year. And then it was like, whoa, okay. After the All Star break, something, some gear clicked for him. And I think that there's been some, uh, as we all know, there's been some changes with the lineup, and and I think that. You know, Isaiah being out, and I think there's a lot of that that's kind of messed with that chemistry. But I think really since the All-Star break, you can really draw a pretty firm line over the last month where Jay Crowder has been a real difference maker. And the way that we used to him doing it last year, only this time he's now shooting 40% from three-point land. Yeah, his defense is back. He's definitely contributing more rebounds than I would say we've really seen from most of his time in Boston. I think that's the real uptick. Um Attacking the basket, maybe still not quite as much, but the ankle is clearly healthy. I think the other thing is he's an excellent tandem with Avery Bradley, who seems to be back to 100% coming off, uh, you know, his injury struggles there for what, 20 games? A little over 20 games, 22 games. So a quarter of the season they were without Avery Bradley. And you know, I love watching my man Jalen Brown get some minutes and, and some time Jeez. in his, in his stead. But Jalen's <laughs> actually struggled a lot lately. Since coming out of that starting lineup, there's been a, a little bit of a slide. Now with Isaiah Thomas out missing a couple of games, obviously the priority down the stretch, I think number one, and I said it on the post game show this week for CLNS radio after the game on Wednesday. I believe it was Wednesday. Maybe it was Monday night. No, there was no Monday night game. Uh, so it was Wednesday, but either way, I said healthy, health has to be number one. That has to be their number one priority heading down the stretch. And so they were cautious with IT. I think that was, that was wise for a couple of games, but Terry Rozier looking like the Terry Rozier, I think in those matchups that we saw in the postseason last year, it seems like everybody's gearing up except sort of gearing down to the opponent because how the hell did that loss to Philly even come about? Well, I, I think it was a lot of things. I think Philly's playing bat, playing pretty well, generally. I mean, for a team that's been kind of kicked to the scrap heap, they're actually playing pretty well. I think Sarge has been a huge plus for them. Oh, that no uh, look. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, that guy is special there. The problem is, I don't know how all these guys are going to play. But at some point, that they're going to have to figure that piece out. And, you know, they gave up Noel for virtually nothing. So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what how they make that happen. But hey, they're playing well, and I think you got to tip your cap to Philly a little bit. But you know, not going back to Horford after he had you know an incredible first three quarters, uh, that was a little bit puzzling. And you know, I, I think that there's a bit of some imbalance. Uh, Don't you think it was you know, kind I, of the Phoenix effect too? I mean, I know Isaiah was out for that one, but just that young athletic team that kind of comes in and throws the sucker punch because the Nets game was close, but you know the Nets have a chip on their shoulders anytime they're going to play the Celtics. So you kind of, I mean, again, I think the Celtics played down in that game, really not a lot of defense against Brooklyn, but setting that aside, 
you knew the Nets there. I mean, when they took a lead in the fourth quarter, the crowd was going bananas. Like they hate the Celtics and with good reason. They basically destroyed their fortunes for, you know, the next three or four years. So they're always going to get up for that game. Philly, on the other hand, I know it's still trust the process, but I really don't think there's any bad blood between those two. You don't even really see like really scrappy, feisty play between the between the two teams. It's it's kind of just good ball to to an extent, but it just seems like you get that run into that young and hungry, athletic team, and they they sucker punch the Celtics. I mean, it, it obviously didn't help that they didn't have Isaiah, but still, I but see, I don't think it's. In this case, I don't think it's about the playing down of the opponent thing. To me, what this is about is that the, ever since Bradley came back, I really don't feel like they've really kind of resettled themselves as a team. I, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of started to kind of pull things together and then, you know, Jalen, like you said, Jalen really hasn't kind of refound himself in that second unit a bit. I feel like they got, Smart there, but I don't really think Smart's really gelled real well with Rozier. Um, it just that group hasn't really fit. fit uh, so we're back. We're back to the disjointed second unit conversation I think so. as we close out the year. I think you might be right about that as well. I mean, it's hard to even even somebody in want you know see Tyler Zeller coming out and playing some minutes <laughs> against Washington. I think you yeah. look at all those offensive rebounds that you mentioned earlier. That's a favorable matchup in the postseason for the Celtics just because it's probably the next closest team with a soft interior. You know, you look at, at what they did in Toronto to get, you know, uh, bolster at the trade deadline and they've already got Valanchunas who can be a total rebound machine and post killer for the Celtics. Washington would be a great matchup in the postseason because they are also soft in the middle, but we have to talk about the emergence of Al Horford first though I'm going to remind everybody about the Facebook page facebook.com slash CLNS fans and download the app for iOS and Android just go to your marketplace search CLNS radio and then the YouTube channel where you get high definition full length locker room interviews and the garden report with Jared Weiss at youtube.com slash CLNS radio and guess what it is tourney time and we're going to talk a little tourney when we come back in the second half of the show about 20 minutes from now but we also have to talk to you about the boatload of money that you can make this week betting at mybookie.ag. If you haven't checked them out, this is the perfect time to get into the action. The madness of March is here, so lay down some money and score big on college hoops. Just don't bet on the ACC. Are you sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for a payout? Come join mybookie today. You win, they pay fast and without any hassles. You're wasting your time betting anywhere else. They have even in-game live bet so that's rare, and you can place a bet after tip-off. So join now, and my bookie will match your first deposit with a 50% bonus. That's right. If you join with $100, you'll get an extra 50 bankroll to play with. All you have to do is use promo code CS50 to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today or call 844-900-BETS-PLAY, and then you play, win, and get paid. All right, John, let's talk about Horford because this is probably the first time that we've seen him get aggressive in the post. And I remember, and we've talked about this on a previous show, but that was always sort of a criticism of Kevin Garnett was that, especially when it came to crunch time, didn't always see him get real aggressive. He would, he would shoot the fadeaway, 
but he wouldn't make an aggressive move towards the basket. And as much as this offense runs through Horford, he needs to be a threat to go up with that quick little hook shot that he has on a regular basis to keep defenses honest. And if we see more of this, and I want to see it obviously against you know tougher interior defenses as well, but if we see more of this heading into the postseason, I think that could be a huge difference maker for them. I think so. And I think that, you know, that the first three quarters against Philly are kind of a good example of that. Uh, they, you know, on the West Coast, you know, apart from the game, uh, that was obviously the one that we probably all want to stand back and look at, which is the Golden State game. I mean, I think in the rest of those, you know, particularly the Denver game, I mean, it was a game they kind of ran away from Horford a little bit. And that's a situation where they need to take advantage of Al Horford. Uh, you know, Jokic, good player, great player, what have you, but, but you got to push back a little bit. And that's where I think the Sulks really haven't found a good footing with him. Um, you know, he's a player who likes to facilitate, who's not going to demand the ball. Perhaps in the fourth quarter, you have to force him to, to, to get the ball, and that that's kind of on Brad a bit. But I think that, you know, Horford is the type that tries to assimilate, tries to fit in, tries to be the guy who makes things go. But to make things, to get them the W, sometimes you gotta stand up and be like, I'm the guy. And there are other people who will try to do that, but he's probably got the best matchup most nights. He's their second best player by far. Uh, and I think that that's, you've gotta put him in that position. And I was a bit surprised that they didn't go to him more in the fourth against Philly, but, um, I think that as you see here tonight against, or, or you know, against Washington, uh, even in times against uh, Toronto, he's going to have favorable matchups that he could take advantage of, and the Celtics are going to have to look for him over and over and over again and force feed them the ball a bit. He's just he's too good of a shooter not to force them the ball. I haven't seen any statistics, but it does seem like he's a heck of a lot more confident shooting the three ball. We knew that sort of coming into the year that that was something that we were going to get out of Al was spacing the floor and being able to shoot. And the defenses do respect his shot, but I never felt maybe in like little spots here and there, but I've never really felt like he was a hundred percent shooting uh, or a hundred percent confident shooting from beyond the arc and he sets it up kind of funky and his release is not maybe the most natural release but he is playing power forward center and it's there if he wants it but I feel like this stretch recently not just his play in the post but more confident play all around and including mm-hmm. shooting from beyond the arc so I gotta think that his percentages are up I you know again I don't have any splits or you know over the last 10 games but I would I would be willing to bet that that three-point percentage has taken a slight uptick recently yeah I mean he had that that stretch where he couldn't make it he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn there for a while but of late and certainly that's turned around pretty quickly for him you could tell he's put the time in he's going in he's putting the extra shots up uh you know he he's still shooting a career high uh i guess if you go to the counting stats end of it he's not um he's shooting about 30 38 almost 36 percent from from three he did shoot 36 percent uh in the 2014 season uh but he only took 11 all year so <laughs> i'm not sure that really counts you know that's the one... growth of a player right there though i mean absolutely you know to see somebody be able to do that and adjust. I think the thing that's just crazy to me is how he contributes in so many categories. And I know people yeah. like the the advanced statistics, but you can't deny when you see essentially fifteen and eight and five or eighteen or eight and four every single night. 
I mean, it, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, you want to you want to see him push up into the twenty point range on certain nights, but he doesn't have to. Which, if you see Crowder is knocking it down or Bradley begins to emerge offensively, he's happy to sacrifice those points. It's just the way he spreads out, and then you see the steals, and he's also gotten some athletic blocks lately. Uh, two blocks in the game against Washington, but it almost seems like he's got a little more bounce in his step. He he's definitely playing the best he's played all season right now. I think you're right. I mean, I think he's just he's he's assimilating as well as 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 he has at any other time, right? And I think that the other piece of that is that they're they're looking to him for shooting, but it's not it's not out of place, you know. It's especially you know against the Wizards, I felt like they were looking at him, using him when he had the, the advantage, um, you know, using him when he was they were sinking off him, was or Todd or whomever, um, and he was he was able to take advantage of those situations. I think he's going to be if he can get enough shots close to where he's going he's going to you know basically offset any sort of interior damage uh, of Gortat's inside scoring, and then and then add to that whatever he can do outside by stretching the floor. That's going to be you know a real difference maker in that a potential wizard series. I, I'm just I'm very bullish on where he is. I think the other thing about Horford, real quick, is that. He is the type of guy I think you just feel so comfortable with him on the floor. You know, the kind of it was kind of interesting that what they did with the rotations tonight is they went really long with uh, you know the, the Isaiah group in the in the in the third quarter, and then they pulled him out. They pulled it out, and they and then they went with a, a smart uh, and and uh, Horford group, which I thought was really good. And then Horford kind of rode a bit with some of the the kids as they brought them in, the Rosiers and the Browns. And I think it's really important to do that because that was probably the first Browns' breast stretch. Best stretch. Yeah. Best stretch of minutes in the game was when Horford was out there. And I think that's why he's had such a slide, um, which is different than Terry Rozier because Terry can get off without being around vets. And I think that's something that's strong for him. And part, I mean, it was great when he, when he contributed in the postseason, but it, it, because he's so ball dominant and because Terry can attack the rim and he's got a little more finesse I think when he goes to the basket he's just he's a little bit more clean in his attempts to get uh to attack at, than Jalen is. Jalen's got a little bit more of an over-reliance on the athleticism once he gets there, but Terry's just a little bit more smooth. But it seems like Rozier can can function fine with the second unit, but but maybe but maybe there's times where, you know, the offense just isn't running smooth because of all of the second unit that's out there with him. Well, I, I, yeah, and I think I, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that Jalen, where Jalen fits right now as a player, there's a lot of things he's not capable of I mean, in terms of, you know, being a guy, you know, get on my back and, and decision making. And I don't think those are that's where his his skill set is. But in terms of he has the tools, the obvious tools. You know, he can get a guy on his back. He can, he can put a one dribble move and get by a guy. He can do a spin move and kind of get around somebody. I mean, he, he knows how to do those things, but it takes a pass. It takes somebody setting up. Who better than Al Horford to do that, right? Now, but you're absolutely right. Rozier, he's got the ball in his hands. Like he can, he can get by just about anybody. Uh, can he finish at the rim? Not always. Uh, I would say this though, that stretch in the second half, second quarter when Rozier was in, Pretty shaky, pretty shaky run there from from Rozier. I don't know why they're not putting the ball more in, in Smart's hands though. 
I, it's 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 kind of peculiar. I don't know if they're doing it because they want Terry to get those reps, and they're they're kind of force feeding him a bit. I mean, especially over the last week, I feel like they've yeah. really been going a lot with Rozier, which I don't think is great for Marcus. I don't. We don't want Marcus off the ball. Marcus needs to be on the ball for maximum effectiveness. But maybe Brad's trying to push the Rozier thing a bit. What do you think? I I think in the playoffs that Rozier's minutes are going to come very situationally. So mm-hmm. they may be trying to keep everybody warm, uh, or maybe they're trying to keep the minutes down. But if you look at the Washington game, you look at Horford, Bradley, and Thomas, they all were at, you know, pretty much 34, 35 minutes. So they didn't do a good job of keeping that down. Now, I think the officials had something to do with that. There's, there was almost this sense of let's make sure this stays close so we don't lose the drama that's been created during this regular season season between these two teams because there were some pretty there were some pretty bad calls I mean Marcus really got filleted I think um, numerous times just calls and he's earned a reputation but nobody flops as much as 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 Marcus smart than John Wall I mean the way he was just laying it down dude the guy looked like he was trying to take a nap constantly it was like oh, I'm tired I lay down and it's just you know that that to me just it felt uneven. You're supposed to get the calls at home. And I get Marcus Smart's reputation to some to some extent on that. And he is an extremely aggressive player. But I, I really think I think he was treated unfairly in that game. And maybe that had something to do with it too. You know, was was just taking some attention away from him because they were clearly dialed in on on putting him into foul trouble potentially. I mean, he got three and four pretty quick, and and number four was totally bogus. Um, so I don't I don't know what they're doing with the rotations or maybe they're just trying to keep everybody sort of fresh but you would think that they would want to reduce the minutes and maybe the Washington game will be the exception not the rule. I think they played it safe with Isaiah. I think if they felt like those games were against better opponents or that Washington game was a day earlier, I think IT would have been out there a day earlier. Um so I think they're kind of being cautious with everybody looking at what happened last year heading down the stretch like I said before staying healthy is priority number 1 and you look at how good this team can be with Bradley healthy I I might have even been a little unfair in my willingness to trade him at the deadline because the way he's playing right now is is insane you don't think so you don't think so no no I mean it it look I like Bradley but you know, look, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Bradley or, or Jimmy Butler? Would you rather have, you know, well, that's, that's Bradley or, or, or Hayward? That's the, right, that's the thing, right? It's not like you give him away, you get nothing back. You gotta get something back. And something's considerable, or it's not worth it to deal him, right? Um, so yeah, but I know what you're saying, which is like, he's almost too good to give up, but at some point, and this is, you know, this has been kind of kicking around a little bit more here over the last couple, you know, week or two, um, you know, whether it's Brad Stevens, whether it's, or, or I should say, or, you know, Bill Simmons or, or Zach Lowe, there's a lot more talk about the fact and the realization that you and I know and a lot of folks on Twitter and, you know, other podcasters know there, there is a very short shelf life for this, this, this edition of the Boston Celtics. Um, they have to make some really big decisions and probably first on those on that list is probably Avery Bradley. Because you think you gotta suspect it's more likely that Isaiah is here, you gotta think that. But based on how they play without him, you have to. I mean, if you had to live, and you got Marcus Smart's contract coming up at that same time, and so you have to make a decision there, and and that's 
again, the age is the age difference. It, it's not that huge. This iteration of the Celtics still hasn't even hit full stride in terms of age, other than the two leaders, Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford. Everybody else, though, has got three to six years from hitting their prime, which is really almost crazy, disgusting if you think about it. You know, another player that they're going to have to make a decision on even before that this summer is going to be Kelly Olynyk. Uh, Gordon Hayward goes off for 38 points the other night. Definitely looks like a prime target for the Celtics for all the obvious reasons that don't need to be mentioned yet again on this show. But, but Kelly Olynyk is, is going to be on the outs. What's so funny is as much as he's been touted as this, you know, outside three point shooter, probably for the same duration that we've seen Horford pick up his play, I'm not going to say Kelly's played awesome because he's definitely had some moments and he was struggling with with foul trouble against Washington. But those 11 rebounds and just his interior play, I mean, he blocked a shot against Washington that was actually a pretty athletic play. It's, It's sort of crazy to watch him all of a sudden be so aggressive inside. If you ask me what do I think they're doing strategically down the stretch, I think that is definitely one of those strategies. They finally said, look, we're going to need somebody in the postseason. We didn't make a move at the deadline. And even if we did, it probably wouldn't have been for a big man. But if if they had, you know, they might have been able to go a different way. But I think there's a lot of focus on getting Kelly active on on the interior because they know it's going to be a huge deficiency. And if he doesn't get used to taking contact and playing in there, get ready to rip another Kevin uh, Kevin Love arm out of his socket kind of play in the postseason, they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> right. Well, and here's the other thing about that. I think you're right. But here's here's the other piece of this, and it's the Marcus Smart piece, which is I think now we're starting to see. All right. It, for the last two three years, it's been spread it out, spread it out, spread it out. Right. It's, it's pace and space. It's three point shooting. It's right. Well, at some point, there has to be the counteract to that, right? We've talked about this quite a bit. What's the counteract to space, pace and space, right? Well, it's Marcus Smart playing bully ball on Brandon Jennings. It's, it's Kelly yeah, O'Leary going up with that up. little lefty scoop in the post. Absolutely. That was beautiful. That, I mean, to me, like, that's, I think that's where we're at right now is like, Brad is trying to like invert the, invert the game, you know? More so than I've seen from other teams. You mean teams revert? Still. It's revert, been inverted yeah. for a while. He's trying to revert the game. I think you're, yeah, absolutely. Like, why not? And, and if it's, as long as it's efficient, like, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna go by the numbers. He's not gonna do it for the sake of just doing it because, you know, he's an old man like you and I are. And it's like, well, you know, we remember back in the old days, you just pound that ball in every, you know, every time down and, and let Kareem shoot the sky hook or whatever. I mean, that's, that's gone. Hey, you got Marcus on on a on a little kid, a little uh, uh, Brandon Jennings. You beat the crap out of him and, and and get it in. And Kelly's doing the same thing. Kelly's looking for those same same type of plays. I think that that's probably where they're going to try to get a lot of scoring from that second unit is to try to maybe pound it inside a little bit more and force teams to collapse to then kick out. The problem is, well, of course, the that, thing is, that, too, on that second unit, just to add to that, I don't mean to cut you off right there, except to say that three-point shooting with that cl- with that unit, when they start, when they go cold and they're firing them, that scoring drought, all of a sudden, whatever 10-point lead they had right. when the starters went to the bench gets eroded so fast and and yep. to your point about smart it really I, he's probably still underutilized 
posting up. And I think a lot of times that's because there is no other ball distributor out there. But Kelly should be functioning in that. That should be a two-man game inside and out between those two. Um, Kelly should take the ball in the high post, try to invert the offense, you know, like the way it is now, but then feed smart and see if they can't bully in. Because a lot of the guards they're going to face in the postseason are going to be smaller than Marcus. And if, if Avery's healthy and that starting lineup is as normally constituted, then Smart should have some favorable matchups. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, let's look at the teams that they're going to face because, I mean, that's, you know, and we don't know exactly what's going to come up, but they're not going to face Chicago, right? Chicago's out of the mix. So it's going to be the Pacers, it's going to be Miami, it's going to be um, you know Milwaukee, which isn't really a great fit for that sort of ball. But uh, you know the Hornets. I mean, those those all have have smaller guards kind of in the backcourt there, uh, especially looking at Miami. I think that's a situation where you know you get him on Dragic. Dragic doesn't have a chance. I mean that he you know he's a he's a hell of a player. Dragic is having a great season, but. He doesn't stand a chance in the post against Marcus Smart. Um, so I think you're, I think you're, and, and Kelly is going to be able to pull white side from the basket and so will Horford. I'm not worried about the Miami Heat. I'm not worried about any of those situations, but I, I think any of those first round series, but I think that you're right. Trying to find ways to limit the amount of scoring droughts out there for that second unit is going to be so important. And I think that there's an opportunity for that unit. If it can get going, start feeling good about itself right now, they could be a strength. I mean, I think this Celtics club could be very deep going into the playoffs. Well, the only uh, struggle, and that's what they need. The struggle with that is the fact that they never rotate the same way in the postseason as they do in the regular season. Sure. You know, they're going to be onesie twosieing, trying to match up just the right combination. So I'm hoping that down the stretch they manage these minutes, keep them low, keep them healthy, don't ruin the chemistry, but start to mimic that just Marcus Smart's coming in on this substitution pattern, and then the starters are coming back in. They're going to have to work a lot of different combos creatively that it'll still look like the postseason, but then hopefully they'll be able to, to run it up a little bit and have that fourth quarter. And that's why playing to the opponent is a real big issue because that's really when they can take some of these end-of-the-bench guys that they might wind up needing and just get their legs fresh, make sure they're ready, keep the minutes down of the starters. You'd love to see them play three Three quarters of ball, even if it's spread out through all four, you'd really like to see the the effect of only three quarters of play for your main rotation guys, and then intermingled maybe some lower end of the bench rotations here and there. Let you know Gerald Green come in and spot it up, and James Young, but they can't really sacrifice wins because they're they're really in. They're totally, they're totally sniffing first place. They, they could pull that off depending on how Cleveland manages the close of the season. I mean, it's unlikely, but it's manageable. I will say this. We've got to go to the break. We're going to come back afterwards. We might pick it up a little bit on that first place. I, I'm not sure I want to close that discussion a hundred percent, but then we'll talk about Ray Allen, Rajan Rondo and Mark Spears undefeated article about their reunion. We'll talk a little bit about Duke and Marcus and Jalen's oh. dust up early earlier this week and the popcorn in the car and you know rookie hazing we'll get to all of that but before we do a couple of words number one going to talk about blue apron their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone 
They know that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. The food looks the same as it does on the card, on the recipe card. When you cook it yourself, it's not hard. And you can customize your recipes each week. You can also pause. You don't have to deliver meals every single week. If you travel a lot like I do, you could take a couple of weeks off, then pick back up where you left off. Some upcoming meals, cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice, roasted pork with apple walnut and farro salad, crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. And here's what you get for being a loyal listener of Celtic Stuff Live. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash Celtics. You're going to love how good it feels, tastes, to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Celtics. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And finally... I'm going to talk to you about SeatGeek because the Celtics playoff push is heating up. We're running down the stretch run, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two tabs. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and the best part is it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and to get you the most bang for your buck SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value and that helps you immediately identify the best seats that are fit in your budget plus every purchase like I said fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and it doesn't end with sports SeatGeek also has plenty of concert comedy and theater tickets available too why don't you go see Jim Gaffigan get some tickets on SeatGeek yeah. I love that man Best of all, oh, he is. I love him. Best of all, (laughs) our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code CSL2017 and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's beautiful. I've used the app to purchase Hershey Bears tickets here in Pennsylvania. Great hockey. Went to University of Maine as John. You and I both are, that's our alma mater. So I I love good hockey and the SeatGeek app made it very easy to find the best prices. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CSL2017 today. Let's finish our conversation, I guess, John, about that first seed and and trying to challenge Cleveland. Right now, they sit two games back from Cleveland. That Philly loss did hurt them because they looked like they were going to get within a game of the Cavs for number one seeding. And you know Cleveland is is pacing it out the rest of the way. They've had some struggles with injuries this year. The last thing they want for LeBron is for him to head into the postseason all banged up. He'll probably see some reduction in minutes. Um, and Kevin Love just coming back. So I think with all that, there's an opportunity for the Celtics to try to get into that first seed. At the same time, they have to balance that with some of the goals that we outlined that we saw were important for the club heading down the stretch run. And that's primarily staying healthy, but also tinkering with these lineups. 
Are they better off just staying in the second seed? Uh, looks like they'd wind up facing Washington unless Toronto puts on a run in the second round where, you know, the top seeds to advance into that second round and the, the bottom four of the eight don't advance, don't move on. Um, that's really the team I don't want to match up. I mean, obviously Cleveland's the toughest matchup, but the team I really don't want to face other than Cleveland is, is Toronto. And I think they could probably stay in that, you know, as long as Washington holds the three spot, it might even be better for the Celtics to tinker with the lineups and not chase the number one seed, with the exception of home court advantage, which is something you're really going to want facing Cleveland. So how do you weigh that out? I think I think home court advantage is probably more important than avoiding Toronto. I still don't know that I see him getting by Toronto unless Kyle Lowry, you know, doesn't get fresh. Well, yeah, I think there's some question as to how healthy Lowry will be, even when he does come back, you know, and then there's a period of you got to integrate him back into what you're doing. He hasn't played really that much with, with PJ Tucker and or, um, you know, <laughs> Serge Ibaka. So then how are you going to do that? I, so, I, you know, having said that, would I rather not have to face that group? Yeah, I suppose so. Um I think you're, I think, yeah, I'd rather be number one. I, th- I think that that's always the benefit. You get the home games. Would I rather play Cleveland with, you know, knowing game seven I have at home? I mean, that's talking about cart before the horse. We haven't won a playoff series in Boston since. Yeah, right. Talking to Eastern Dude. Conference finals against right. Cleveland. <laughs> so we haven't won a, right. We haven't won a, a conference, a, a playoff series since, uh, KG and Paul got, uh, uh, got to the 2012 Eastern Conference finals. So it's been a while. It's been five years. So let's, you know, we want to, we're pumping the brakes a bit on this, but. But you know, we had three it, players that were injured last year going yeah. into the postseason. Bradley was hurt, Crowder yeah. was a mess, and Kelly Olynyk was essentially out. I mean, when they rolled him out on the floor, he was a mess. He yeah. really he didn't contribute anything to that postseason matchup against the Hawks. So when you consider that, and, and in some ways, injuries are unavoidable. But you also want to avoid this fatigue. Like, wouldn't it be nice... If they were essentially healthy and rested enough, you know, just not yeah. beat down, and their schedule is so favorable for mm-hmm. that to be a huge advantage because we just got two of the final five road games out of the way, right? So there's three mm-hmm. more. Is that right? There's three more? Uh, yeah, three more. So and, there's and only what... three more road games, and we still have about a month before the postseason starts. Really, they have a banana schedule to remaining. I mean, and yes, a lot of them are against Eastern Conference playoff teams, but they're at home. They're all at home. And, you know, the only one that I think there's only two teams left that they don't have the lead in the season series, one being Phoenix, which, you know, we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, and then the other is Cleveland. So, hey, that's that's a pretty good run, and you've got a good chance to kind of close out strong. I think that they I split the season do. series if they take that one against Cleveland, right? So they would be two and two. That's right. That's right. So and there's they're one they, and one with Atlanta too. So I, I they aren't ahead in that season series, but so you um, kind of I think you'd say you want them to go for that first seed, but yeah. maybe it's really contingent upon this game coming up against Cleveland. If they win that, you've got to put the pedal down a little bit and go after it the rest of the way. And if you don't win it, then you begin to take a step back and go the rest of the way, knowing that, look, it's going to be hard. I mean, by the time they get to Cleveland, 
I would think they'd be happy if they were sitting one game back and they if they take that one at home and they're tied for first position, then you got to battle it out the rest of the way. So here's the counter question. Do you think Cleveland would hand it over for the namesake of being healthy? Do you think they're as concerned about having home court advantage all the way through the postseason? Or do you feel like they go, you know what, we're pushing it a little bit, these guys need to be healthy, and, you know, yeah, we want to win it, but maybe we're not going to – maybe we're going to try to be healthy instead because we know LeBron can win games on the road. Right, and I think that I think that's the biggest thing. So what's interesting – so there was this, this letter that came out from the commissioner tonight uh, to the teams because, of course, Cleveland sat some – Right, their, having the owners trio. involved, yeah. Right, right. But the, but the Cleveland doesn't have another Sunday Saturday night game the rest of the season, or at least the primetime game. So – as a result of that, there isn't going to be another situation where they do that, where they have to worry about the prime time. They do play the Spurs, which I think is, you know, if they do take their cue from, and that's a TNT game, you know, if they take their cue from what Adam Silver said, perhaps they, they, they don't rest their guys. And then of course the Solix game is an ESPN game. So, those are two games maybe they play their guys, so it will be interesting. But, you know, they, I, I don't, I think they will look to rest. I think that Cleveland, I mean, LeBron played the most, at one point had played, I don't know if he's still in the, in the league lead, but he played the most minutes of anybody in the league. And meanwhile, Kyrie got hurt. Uh, obviously Kevin Love was out for quite a while. He really hasn't had a chance to. That's to not how they plan this thing. You're right. No. That's not how they plan this thing. I mean, the, the idea was that Kyrie and Love were going to carry the thing, and then you know LeBron could could rest a little bit more. That hasn't happened. So I think they will use you know the the end here of this of this season to try to find some minutes uh, or not some minutes, find some opportunities perhaps where they can rest. Uh, you know, as they get down the stretch. Certainly, they did in in. in LA, uh, not so much, but they did against the Clippers. They did, you know, and I think they will continue to look for those opportunities. I don't know if it'll be the Spurs, but some of the lesser lights. They're playing the Sixers. They're playing the Magic. They're playing, you know, I, I think those are opportunities for them to do that. But it doesn't seem like you can look at the schedule now and say, well, this is when they're going to rest guys and this is when they won't because you know, they did it against the Clippers. You'd think that that would be a game they'd try to, to give it their all. I'm just, I'm feeling like they should rest LeBron and they should try to, you know, who cares if they get the top seed? They can win on the road. But I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a weird situation over there. You're not really sure who's in charge. You know, I think there's a lot of people think LeBron's in charge and he's going to want to play as many minutes as possible. Unfortunately, that may shorten their, his shelf life and his ability to, to get through to the finals. Yeah. Well, that would benefit the Celtics. Ultimately, if, he kept playing and they won the first seed. So if, yeah. if they take both of those sort of, Huge. you know, be, you know, both of those away from Cleveland, it would, it would, it would, it would benefit them immensely. I don't know that they have the ability to take Cleveland in the postseason. I would be happy with them obviously getting to the Eastern Conference finals and just putting up a good fight. I would be happy with that. At the same time, you never know what this team is capable of. And I'd, and, and Kevin Love and, and Al Horford in a series would be really fun to watch. Both rangy guys, um, you know, scoring. They're, they're the second or third option on the team. Jay Crowder, 
trying to defend, you know, LeBron in a seven-game series at full strength. I mean, when was the last time we saw that? Jay Crowder is a completely different player right now than he was, uh, you know, in in any other time. Really matching up with with LeBron, and they've never played Cleveland in the postseason, right? So I think uh, I think he may be more up to the task than ever. And I think that would be an exciting matchup. They played uh, a few years Bradley. ago. They did they play two years, years ago. ago. I thought so, right, in the first round. You just round, mentioned right? the Kevin Love thing, remember? Right, that's right. I knew. Yeah. See, then I thought I overstepped. I'm glad you reminded me. So, I, Jay Crowder from back. two years ago. Step back, son. Step, step back. Step back. Swish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but wait. <laughs> Was Jay healthy two years ago? He was, right? That was he his was. first season. He, he was healthy. Last year four. he was a mess. He got hurt in game four. That was when the whole J.R. Smith elbow to the right. head thing took his out, his knee out. See, I remember him being injured in both in 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 the series. Yeah, he did. And then yeah. not being in the postseason last year. Okay, because I I remember him not being a hundred percent. So the player he is today, uh, presuming he continues to play the way he has of late. Against LeBron could be really effective, and I love the I, 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 Avery Bradley on ball on Kyrie Irving would be really oh. entertaining as well. Wow, you you got to think that the matchups kind of put the Celtics in decent position to have an entertaining series. That's that's obviously love to see the one and the two seeds go at it in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think if the Celtics can avoid Toronto and play Washington, there'd be this, you know, I guess it's not a rivalry, but it's, it's got some, it's got some grit to it. And you know, Marcus Smart and, uh, and John Wall are going to be getting into it in the postseason. So that would be great. So do you have a, do you have a preference before we close this sort of like, we'll be talking about it a lot over the next four weeks, but you know, if, if, if it shakes out, are you, are you hoping for Detroit or Miami or Chicago or Milwaukee? Like, out of those four teams, I guess we can throw Charlotte in there, but I think it's pretty unlikely. But let, let's keep Charlotte out. We'll say Miami, Chicago, Detroit, Milwaukee. Who of those four teams would you like to see the Celtics play the most in the first round? I think I'd want to play Indiana the most. I think the Celtics play the best against that team. I don't think they have a whole lot more than Paul George. But I, I think, think Indiana's it, going to play the three seed, don't you? Don't you think they've pretty much got that locked up? I mean, I know it's, and I don't want to say it's locked up. There's many games left to play, but. Yeah. Well, they're a game and a half. Uh, right now they're a game and a half back. The other thing I'd say Atlanta is kind of listing too. I mean, they're, they've only, they've only won three of their last ten. Um, and Milwaukee's kind of on fire, so I could see Milwaukee kind of making a move up right now. They're they're only a game and a half back of the Pacers. I could see Milwaukee if they kind of keep that going. I could see them kind of pushing forward. Miami's hot. Miami could kind of push into the playoff race and push out Detroit. What about Detroit and Andre Drummond? Does that scare you a little bit? I don't no, because I you know I'm more worried about KCP and Ish Smith. It's it's always a weird mix when they play Detroit. You know, like I always feel like those guys beat them more so than Drummond. Um, so I'm yeah, but some of that's his presence. Yeah, but I see what you're saying. Okay, so you you think Detroit's a favorable matchup for the Celtics? 
I think Detroit is, I think is a favorable matchup. I think the most favorable matchup to me would be the Pacers. I think that's the team that, that they can take down pretty easily. They've won both, both games of the season series. They're going to play them again this week, uh, at home. I, I really think that that's a team that works out well. And I, and also I'd add to that, that, you know, it seems to work out pretty well for the Celtics when you play against a, a player that you may try to acquire. In yeah, the playoffs. Yeah. Well, that seems to work out pretty yeah, well. Yeah, just ask, uh, yeah, Golden State and Kevin Durant. Hopefully said player doesn't get injured. Or Al uh, Horford. After you acquire. Oh, a Horford too. Right. Yeah. I guess it just, so. just depends on, you know, I'm looking at Paul George of the Kevin Durant mold. Yeah, you know, well. Say, well, you know what I mean? Same, same scenario, gonna, right? Are you going to get sour about difference. him? Are you going to get sour about oh, him going oh, somewhere? Oh, oh, oh we're going to be sour. You just wait till free agency comes around. We're going to oh be sour, gosh. all right. I wouldn't you, worry about it. You Gordon know. Hayward. Speaking, hey, speaking of sour, no, you just made the perfect transition. We're not going to oh. come out of sour. We're going to stay in sour. Oh, no. <laughs> Staying in sour. How about the fact that everybody wants to blame Rondo like he's the reason Ray's not invited? Yeah, yeah. Hey, how Just about because this, he was the voice. You know, it, you know, and part of it is Rondo. It's because people don't like Rondo. That's what that's about, right? They, you know, people want to they want to throw the stones at Rondo, and he's the salty one, and all that. But let's be honest. You know, he asked Paul, and you know, he asked KG, and you know what they said? Hell no! Keep him the hell away from us, because that Dude, guy. It wasn't like Rondo was the elsewhere. one. Yeah, Rondo wasn't the one waiting for the phone call from Ray. He no. knew he wasn't. There was no disrespect that Rondo didn't get the phone call, but it was I very specified uh, in that article because Mark went back to an interview with Paul Pierce about, and it's pretty obvious it's Paul. And I and I know Kevin's in it, on it, but it's oh, Paul's yeah. call. That's my point. Yes. If Paul yes. said to KG, "Listen, man, I I know it's bad blood, and I know you're the most intense creature that ever walked the face of the earth, <laughs> but he's Ray. He was there. Right. He needs to come. If right. if and and you also know if Ray had just made that phone call to Paul again, even if he left out KG." You know Ray's coming on this this yep. trip, and and that the bad blood is. But the dude did not call anybody. He did not pay well, respects to the guys he, he 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 won a championship with, and in doing so, he's out and he's out for good. He and I, and I would say that if had he really reached out in the time in between, right? I mean that's the other piece of this is this is years ago. I mean had you know Ray kind of said, hey look. You know, let's, let's kind of bury the whole thing with Paul. I think you're right. Paul would have kind of made things work. That's the way that that dynamic works. I mean, Paul is the guy that's kind of like, yeah, you're crazy, KG, but you know, hey, listen, Paul's the one that talked KG into taking the Nets deal. Paul's the one that kind of, look, KG's the leader, but Paul is the one that kind of makes it all go. And I think that, you know, there's a respect there, and KG's like, okay, or oh, you know, he he'll go with it. And and Rondo isn't the type that's. Gonna, I mean, they all know how Rondo feels about Ray, but Rondo, I think, would go along with it. Would he be salty? Would he be, you know, you know, kind of best buddies? No, he wouldn't. No, you know, here's no. the deal: if it but wasn't if it this way, it would have right exactly. If it wasn't this way, all of these wounds would have healed by now, and they usually do. I, we're coming up on ten yeah. years. They're right. going to do this trip. Nine years instead of ten years out. 
But we're coming up on 10 years, which is just crazy to think about because yeah. that's a quarter yeah. of my life ago that I was there interviewing these guys. But one thing I am, I'm going to quote Mike Fay on this, who's an old friend, and he used to record podcasts with us after the after the games when, when we were going and, and doing the locker room coverage. And Mike says, no doubt about it, the departure was 100% personal. Ray wanted to stick it to a few people, and now he has to deal with that choice. That, to me, is the perfect summation of the situation. And and you know what? So here's what I'd say, right? I think I think he did. Mike, Mike hit it properly. Well, here's what has to happen. If people want there's this 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 whole like fantasy about well they need to move on, they need to get over it. Okay. Well, first of all, we all talk okay, he took less money to go to the hated rival, right? That's a that's a real thing. That's like, you know, you go for the Patriots and you go to the Jets, or the Jets are the best team in in football. I mean, that's what happened, okay? But it's years on, people have retired, people are moving out. Pick up the phone, Ray Allen. Pick up the freaking phone, you call Paul Pierce, and you start to break the barriers down, and you come to the Celtics fans, and you, and you get down on your knees, and you, and you beg and plead, because that's the way you're gonna get back in our good graces. Cedric Maxwell had to do it, and, and, and there's other players that are gonna have, that, that have, have followed that trend of, they've gone away, and they've had to come back and earn it back. And he's gonna have to earn it back. And I know people get mad at me because I'm like, why are you on Doc and why are you on Paul and why, why are you on Ray for all this? And like, look, you can't be Ubuntu and be part of I am a Celtic and then run away. And like these, these, you know, the comments about like, oh, well, you know, Doc's going to try to go and want to run the, the magic. You just wait and watch. If this whole thing blows up with the Clippers, he's going to be running to Orlando. This, this is, that's what he does. So don't believe. I don't get the sense said. that he's all that connected to ownership. And some of the Hell subtleties, no. you can no. just tell he's just seeing this through because he's committed to his guys, and that's the reputation he mm-hmm. has. He's a player's coach. He's committed yep. to his guys, and so he has to see this th- this thing through. But you're right. As soon as the rebuild comes, you know he's on the horse and he's out of town, no doubt. White flag and time to rebuild. And you know what though, he's earned it. He's earned it. He's been coach of the year. I know I'm, I'm hard on Ray, but I'm not hard on, I'm not hard on Doc. And that may be like the one part where you and I on the show don't agree because, yep. and that's rare because I know we were, we were talking about this. You tweeted it out. I was like, great. This will be great radio. You know, we're agreeing 100% on Ray is on the outs and we think the players are, in the right on that, and and not even that. I, I I know everybody wants to talk about Hall of Fame, but no way, dude. One one championship and really a fairly short stint, and he didn't choose Boston. He was traded for, and the minute he had an opportunity to choose Boston, he chose Miami, and that to me right there is why no no Celtics Hall of Fame. He'll probably go down in the NBA Hall of Fame, which is why it's tough, I think, for a lot of people to say, well, wait a second, how do you keep him out of the Team Hall of Fame and you put him into the NBA League Hall of Fame? I'm like, pretty easy, man. You look at the Bucks, this time with the Bucks. You look at his time with the Supersonics, they can put him in their Hall of Fame. We don't, I don't think we put him in, the, in, the, in ours. And I don't want to reinitiate that conversation, but no. I do want to say, I think you're too hard on Doc, man. He brought us banner number 17. He, I mean, what is, what is your issue with Rivers? <laughs> what is, what, how much time do we have? 
no. I mean, look, you don't come one year and say, I am a Celtic. The Celtics put their whole marketing campaign behind Doc Rivers says, I am a Celtic. And the first chance that he sees bad, you know, the, the bad, you know, the, the bad things coming, the team being torn apart, he hits the hills. I'm out of here. He jumps before KG, before Paul, before anybody. I gotta get out of here. You know, oh, I'm gonna be through it. I'll, I'll see it through, through the, the, uh, the rebuild. Well, you know, Doc decided he didn't want to be working through a rebuild. You know, it's like, and look where the Celtics are. The Celtics are ahead of the Clippers right now. You know, so. I don't have a problem and, with and, him not well, wanting to thing. be part what of the, the rebuild. Thing. I just well, think on, it was his mistake. That's well, all I'm going to say. His, and he, and, and but I don't feel like he was saying, sticking it to Boston. Well, here's the thing. He's also saying that he needs to be able to run his own team. He always thought he was a contemporary of, of Danny's and thought that he should be the one who's picking the players. Not, not, not necessarily picking instead of Danny, but he wanted to have that. He thought he's, he's an equal. And he wasn't equal. Danny's better at what he does than Doc is at being a general manager and a coach. Well, well, I, well you I know think what? that's without dispute. I think that's without dispute. But everybody deserves an opportunity to go forth and try to grow their career and take those opportunities. And the only thing I will add is that it's not like he has this ownership group where he went. And maybe that's it, – it's more about – it's more about his choices that I don't think were good necessarily choices for him. Like I, you know, looking back, maybe you would have stuck out the rebuild, looking at what came in and what the players were and what's been built. But do I have resentment towards him for making that choice? No, I don't blame him for not. He went through a very long rebuild the first time through, and it's not easy. And he got close to players like Delonte West, and you know, and and I know he wanted a championship. I'm just saying. You, you put a lot of heart and soul into some of those young guys and try to help them grow into something. I'm not saying that he had a problem when they were traded because I guarantee you he didn't. But my point is that takes an enormous amount of emotional energy to go through that. I'm certain of it. And Brad is at a completely different stage in his career than Doc is. So would Doc maybe make different choices? I'm sure he would. He probably wouldn't pick the Clippers and, you know, he probably would have stayed in Boston if he would known it could have predicted the future. But you can't, and you can't blame him for wanting to come out from underneath Danny's, you know, I mean, dude, the guy was revered at the point that the championship came. And Danny went through a lot of scrutiny before then, right? When he was rebuilding and he traded Walker, he was the most hated person in town. Guess what? Doc deserves his opportunity to go be hated and, and, and try to, try to be a GM of a club. Now, the problem is, he's not going to walk away with the championship. He shouldn't try to sell me on a whole bunch of BS about I am a Celtic then. He shouldn't try to talk about, oh, these are the greatest fans on earth and blah, blah, blah. Don't, don't, don't BS me. Okay. And that's what he does. He, he'll tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> he'll give you the little prepackaged snippet. You know, he'll give you, he'll give the media what they want. But the truth is, is that that he's, he's a much more conniving individual. And you know, oh, I'm a Celtic. And then I'm running for LA of all places to work for Donald freaking Sterling. I mean, come on, man. You know, and then to be upset. I, I just look. You're right. You can go anywhere you want and, and do that. But to say, like, I'm part of the team here, I'm part of what we're doing here, we gave, you know, the t- ownership certainly wasn't pleased with his move. 
They, they were not looking. They, his little dance of will I or won't I come back? Ever no, since that was that was a how I did it championship kind of thing. game. But was, listen, was ever since then though. Every year after 2010, like, well, I don't know if I'll return or not. Like you, you sound know like what? you have Drama an equal queen. footing go, with go. Ray Allen though. I'm not far from it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because he, See, I don't think he was disrespectful. I don't think he was meant necessarily, you know. Uh, totally forthright or honest in that decision. That was a difficult position Definitely to be not. in, but it's totally different than Ray Allen's situation. He literally turned his back on the organization and his comrades, right? Like he just turned his back and walked the F away. That's not what Doc did. Doc had to put himself in the conversations with the Boston media, knowing it would be torn apart and picked apart. And so he hung in there and at least he left on good terms. I'm not saying, I'm not saying his reasons for leaving were good. I'm not saying that he didn't feed you a line of BS, you know, potentially, but you never know what you're going to do. And at the end of the day, you can't close the door on that because you say, well, I might leave for LA. Right? Like, what did you expect him to say through that process until, until he gets to that point? So, and when Paul Pierce, he brought Paul Pierce back for Paul's last game. He did it right. You know, he was a part of that. Media. Media, though. Media. Like, what you're talking about, it's media BS. Like, it's all about, like, making people look good and, you know, guys. Oh, you mean what he's saying? Well, he was, yeah, he was a commentator. He knows what to do. Absolutely. But, but that doesn't, that's like, that doesn't mean I hate the, the guy. I'm not saying I hate the guy because of that. I hate. The, I, I I have a really hard time but with you've the guy. Got because him on Ray Allen level. I do because I do he's playing because in the game. Like, dude, there are people in this league who think people the say earth the same thing flat. about Ray Allen. Yeah, but people there like, are people in this league who think the Earth is flat. Like, legit, think well, the Earth is look, flat. All right. If I feel political here, but I'm not going to because I want to have listeners laugh. But. <laughs> I'm, there's a I lot know, of things a lot of people believe that I'm not sure about. But anyway, I'm I not going to go. But my point is this. Like, just be, Doc is, Doc is smart enough to know how to play the game and not create problems, right? So he, he at least left the Celtics in a respectful way. And, and, and the best way that he could. I mean, if you're going to leave, you're going to leave. And yeah, okay, don't feed me the line of bull. But he is not on Ray's level. There's no way you can even consider him on Ray's level. I can put him on – I will put him on Ray's level because he basically left the ownership and the and Danny Ainge high and dry in May of 2013. And he got wind that they were going to rebuild. And even though he said he wanted to be part of the rebuild, he left them high and dry and started – making his inroads. They sent him a letter in May of 2013 and said, hey, we want you to be the coach of the team and didn't respond to it. There's a lot of things about this that, you know, while we all wanted to believe Doc would be a lot more forthright and a lot more upfront about his his reticence to want to be part of a rebuild, they're not the case. He didn't do those Anytime things. you go to look he for a new job, to. dude, anytime you go to look for a new job, you don't tell your current employer that you're looking for a new job. And that's that's the way this that this it. played out. He's not being a, he's not yeah, but he's not a widget maker. He's the coach of the Boston Celtics. He's a guy whose whose image and whose words were the central marketing yeah. campaign yeah. It, the year it, before about still, I am a Celtic. It's still I mean, doesn't you can't, matter. 
you, you still it, oh, it, it dude, totally it, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO you're the president of an organization you're not going to tell your organization I'm leaving before you have your next step in play and that's just so, the truth but how's that different than Ray Allen it's different Ray, than Allen Ray Allen has every right every, Ray Allen has the right to leave for a team that's better than the Celtics right no, no, no. understand understand me I'm not trying to put Doc Rivers <laughs> in the Hall of Fame for the Celtics either no, that's why they're that. not on the but... same level and and my issue with Ray is that he's a traitor of the worst variety <laughs> it's wait, not wait what? it's not yeah because it's not like no no it's not the same because he didn't go to the rival listen what okay, ray did if if i'm salty about what kevin durant just did and he's not even playing for my team then right. i have a right to be salty about what ray allen did because he basically did the kd before kd right and i'm just saying i think those things are there there's they're a lot more equal Rays and and, Doc? and Doc's situations what? are much more equal than than I think because why isn't if if Ray went to the highest went to the bidder that he thought gave him no, the best chance you for missed my point my point isn't is that how what, he that did it Ray's my Doc my point too? is how Ray did it and who he went to and I and you know what even if Doc went nicely and wound up going to coach the Heat I'd feel the same way about Doc, but you have to understand, Ray went to the Heat and didn't talk to anybody. Doc just lied to you as he backed his way out of the scenario and didn't go to our rival, and we've never, the Celtics have never had a rivalry with the Clippers and never faced them in the postseason on any kind of level, and certainly not at the same time that Doc left to go play, right? And he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. Ray left in the middle of a championship battle, a championship run, and literally left for the team they were playing against. I mean, listen, what Doc did is can't be compared to Kevin Durant, so it can't be compared to Ray Allen. Well, I so think let's talk about Duke. Doc Doc walking away. <laughs> Doc walking away was was a similar situation because he didn't communicate with his with ownership or Danny Ainge, and then effectively left them high and dry to where yeah, they had. You know, he then. talked to him after that. He didn't turn after his back, that, though, and then but yeah. That's, but my see, point that's is, Ray, point. Tur- Ray turned his back. They were the enemy right. from the minute he decided to enter free agency, and he turned down less money, too. Do you think the Celtics were offering more money and more responsibility to Doc Rivers when he left? No, we already know the answer is no, because Doc wanted to go do Danny's job. It's a totally different scenario. Ray Allen made a shot across the bow. He had an axe to grind, and he ground it by going and winning a championship with their top competitor. Period. The end. I will. I, <laughs> I would say that I'm not trying to say that what Ray Allen did was was in any way valent or or uh, better than what Doc did. I'm only equating the two to say that Doc Rivers gets a whole lot of uh, you know, hey, congratulations and appreciation for his time in Boston, but it's largely because he's played nice, nice with the media and and those back in Boston every time he comes back and says all the right words about how the fans and the franchise and blah, blah, blah. But if Ray Allen had done that and had done that since he had left, perhaps he wouldn't be viewed as negatively as he is. 
Not guess, this one. I, I would agree with you. But that's, if he but hadn't gone that's to the, the fact of If it. he hadn't gone to the Miami Heat and he hadn't turned his back and not called anybody during that process, if he hadn't taken less money and lost a starting job and making the move, if Ray – I mean, come on. If you take all the fact, all the main factors out of the situation and morph him into Doc Rivers, then yes, him and Doc Rivers are equal. But everything that Ray did and the way he left town, especially when he had those New England roots and the Yukon and, you know, all of that – I'm sure that he had some reasons to be upset, but not enough. Not enough to go out like that. Okay, we've we've beat that horse to death. We're going to talk about Duke, and then we're going to wrap the show because we're already I don't we're already over. Duke. I just <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Honey, we have I don't to talk about Duke. because the listeners hate Duke. Everybody hates Duke. You I must be Allen. put through it's this pain, <laughs> right? And and so yeah, I know it's just a big ass kicking for you today. It no, is. listen. Here's here's what. I, Last year, we did not get to see potential Celtics draft picks in the tourney very long. And one of the players that I obviously got hot on over the last couple of weeks because we talked about him, Jason Tatum, and I and you, but you predictably because you're a Duke fan, but I was also in our CLNS talent pool for our brackets. It's just you and me. Yeah, I jinxed you. No, it's I just, think, oh, yeah, you jinxed Duke because yeah. he, you picked him out as your guy. I did. And it, you, only you I and I did, me. but you were predictable with that. Well, yeah. I mean, I was a, I was a dark, dark horse Duke pick. You screwed, you screwed up Duke, man. This is your fault. I didn't, I thought it was, there's was a whole bunch of factors I had. I never thought it was your fault. Oh, man. Now You're I just figured mad it about out. this doc. You just mad you lost the doc in this Ray Allen debate. Listen, listen, Jason Tatum. <laughs> Jason Tatum I wanted to see more of and I really wanted to see him rise up because it's not just me who said he might like I even said I I might even consider him at one just because of the way he can get his shot off at the collegiate level and how young he still is and that seven foot wingspan is really something to behold but he's also a team player and he's willing to share the ball I, I see a lot there but Sam Vecini even said that he thinks that Tatum should be considered possibly with the number one overall pick. Now, I know it's touting March Madness and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of this is coming out after Duke got bounced. So I'm kind of impressed by that. Josh Jackson's the guy I expected to be flying up the board right now. He, Jackson, had a tremendous game on Sunday. I mean, just, he was, Josh Jackson had the type of game that was, uh, was eye popping for me, you know. I mean, that was that was clearly the best game I'd seen him play all year. He's who and I he just, wanted last year, coming out of the draft over the summer. That was the player I. But then, yeah. I, but then it began to occur to me that there's a hell of a lot of Jalen Brown duplication there. Different players, but but not entirely so. Yeah, no, and I, I, he's certainly a lot longer. I mean, I think that that's. He's clearly small forward, maybe even power forward. I mean, he looks, he looked like a, a good 6'9 to me. I mean, I, Draft Express, I think, has him at 6'8, but last time I checked, but that was, his performance was very impressive. I'm still, a, I'm still a Tatum guy. I think, you know, I, I would take Tatum over him because I, part of it is because of where I think the Celtics are, and I think they need a more refined, Offensive player, uh, and who, who has the link. He could be a go-to to, scorer. He would compliment so. Orford and Thomas, you know, in the coming years. 
I'm not sure that Tatum, I'm not sure Jackson ever is that guy, but geez, you know, wow. They say, you know, Draft Express has Jackson as 6'8 and, and with, with a, with an inch shorter wingspan than Tatum's, but man, the guy out there that I saw yesterday, you know, I guess in the Kansas game, incredibly long. I, I'm not ready to say Tatum's over Fultz though. I, I think that Fultz, has shown a time and time and time again the ability to score and do everything, score everywhere, do pass. Defense defend. is the issue, though, right? His size. I mean, if you put him in the starting lineup with Isaiah, defense is going to be a struggle. I don't know. I mean, I mean, in terms of his size, I mean, he's 6'4". His wingspan, Fultz's wingspan is the same as Josh Jackson's. It's like 6'10", I mean, right? I think it's Yeah, 6'10". I mean, yeah. that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous length for a guy in your backcourt. So – Look, you know, I think that Jackson, I mean, you're going to bring these guys in. You're going to see who, what they can do. I'm feeling so like. So how I mean, far Fultz down are you dropping Lonzo Ball, even though he's gaming right now? Because you People sound like you might be though. putting him down at three, and, and it might even be a debate for you between Jackson and Ball. I think that's exactly where I'm at with three, is is between those two. I'm just not a fan of Ball. I I, I just, I, I'm not sure about Did the Did you read shot. Kevin O'Connor's article today or yesterday? I haven't read it yet. I've you got it. He I've talks got a lot about the form and the gather and, and that there's a major issue with balls shooting from the standpoint that because he gathers the ball on the left side, that he struggles to go to his right to get his shot off. And that at the NBA level with a little bit of scouting, that could be a huge problem for him. Despite the fact that he can own the game with his passing and, and his shot is obviously way better than Rondo's, but he may wind up struggling at the next level because where he goes to get his shot off and the tricks in his bag to get space may close up against these more advanced defenders that are in the league. That seems that seems like a reasonable take to me. I, I he said he looked at every single three pointer that he shot, small sample size, but and he showed a couple of clips in the article on the Ringer. But I I was impressed. He it really went more into. Um, that was really just the beginning of the article, and then it kind of goes off from there. But that's what I took was was just Lonzo Ball's sort of gather. And I know we're we're really extending the show, maybe a little bit into overtime here. But I wanted to ask you if there was anybody else from you know we kind of got those top four, but is there anybody else that's standing out in the tourney for you? You still watch more of these games than I do. That you think maybe is uh, a fast riser or somebody that's been traditionally overlooked in these mock drafts? Anybody standing out to you? Well, I, I mean, in, in terms of the mock drafts, oh, John Collins from Wake. I mean, he's a guy that that has been really productive. Um, He's kind of right now. Draft Express has got him at fifteen, um, and you know he's a he's a. Who's your Demontis Sabonis this year? That's what I want. <laughs> um, my Sabonis. I don't know that I have one right now. I mean, I think it could be Collins. You know, what's kind of interesting about Collins is that there's there's been some talk about there will be. Uh, you know, if, if, if there's a trade with Chicago, let's say, that Boston will try to want to get the, uh, their, their late lottery pick right now is 13. So that kind of puts them in a, into a, the category of, well, you get, yes, you get Butler, you give up one. They get, they get number one. 
we get Butler and we get potentially the, the late lottery pick right now. So Collins is kind of in that neighborhood. OG Ananobi from, uh, from Indiana, who's just a brick, you know, what house, um, and, and really raw, but, but again, has a body who could really, you know, maybe figure out some skill with that and you could really do some things. I, I'm not really seeing anybody who stands out. I mean, I think we've spent so much time talking about those top four that, you know, in the top 10, I mean, there's, there's some good players all the way through the top 10, but I, to me, it's, it's, it's that top four that's just so hard to, to walk away from. To me, if you're not in that top four, you're really kind of rolling a dice here in the top 10. And then outside of that, it's like, well, meh, you know, I mean, they're probably good players, but I, I, there's nothing there that kind of stands out. And, and also look at what you have, what you're going to be bringing in with Zizic and, and Yabosele. I mean, both, both of those guys are going to need some space. So if you add another big, like how much time can you devote to those bigs being able to play or, or, or become, you know, meaningful members of, of your roster? So maybe you don't want, you know, a, an, another pick. There's nobody else who's going to crack that top four in my mind outside of those four guys, Tatum, Jackson, Ball, and Fultz. It's, it's one of those four that are going to be the Celtics pick this year, whether they trade it or they take it. It's one of those four guys, and I'm happy with that. I like all four guys. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of a no lose proposition. There's, it's there's not no like, doubt. It's not like we were in 2007 where we fell down to fifth, and now it was like Eugene Leon, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that chair that he guarded was in a good, you know, was in a good spot, but you know, that was a two player draft, you know, and and all these drafts we've kind of been falling out of the mix. I think this is a four-player draft, and we're going to get somebody who's good no matter what happens. Uh, yeah, on, and then you block. take best player available, and you let the roster shake out. And we're going to be talking about this a whole lot more. Thank goodness this season that we're going to have some playoff games, hopefully at least two, maybe three rounds, to carry us a little bit closer to that draft. And hopefully we're still watching the postseason when uh, things come down with the lottery, too, and we have some answers to this. So keeping our fingers crossed. But that's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in and you can help support this show uh, by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. And a reminder, uh, today's show brought to you by SeatGeek, Blue Apron, and MyBookie. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire CLNS radio network. Thanks to the loyal audience, making it all worthwhile for John and I, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.